0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 5:38 to 42. You've heard that it's said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Picture yourself in this scenario. You are enjoying a, a dinner party with friends, sharing a lovely evening, when suddenly a strange man with a gun bursts in and starts demanding cash from the people at this dinner, only in a just weird twist of fate or whatever, nobody has any money. What do you do? That's a real story that happened at, uh, it was in Washington, D.C., at the house of a guy named Michael Rabdow, I think is how you say his name. Um, Michael and his wife had a friend who had opened a restaurant fulfilling a lifelong dream and so they gathered at Michael's house. It was the summer. They were outside on the patio sharing a nice meal. Here comes this guy, points a gun at Michael's wife and starts demanding money that no one has. Michael tried to use shame to control the situation. He started saying stuff to the guy like, what would your mom think of you right now? Uh, that made him even angrier. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like this was really going to go in a bad direction when one woman in the party did something unusual. Her name was Christina. She invites this guy to come sit with them, at, join them at the table. She motions to an empty chair and she says, and I quote, would you like to try some wine? And he was quiet for a second. He goes over, he sits down, he tries the wine and he says, and I quote, that's some really good wine. They they, uh, engage him in friendly conversation and after a few minutes, the guy says, I've made a mistake in coming here. I'm re- He apologizes. He asks them, literally, for hugs. They give him hugs. <laughs> he leaves the backyard, you know, and, and then they all start crying and run inside and lock the doors and call the police. The next morning, they found that wine glass just placed outside uh, the back gate in the alley, not broken or anything. Now, that, that story got some run or got some press. Uh, it was last summer, I think, a year ago. It got picked up by some psychological journals, scientific sort of journals, as an example of what sociologists are calling non-complementarianism. If that sounds familiar, because I, when we were in 1 Peter, that's when that story happened and that's the first time I heard that and I mentioned non-complementarianism then. Um, and here's what non-complementarianism means. Normally, we tend to treat people the way we're treated, right? In a complimentary fashion. If you're mean to me, I'm mean back. If you're nice to me, I'm nice back. And what sociologists have discovered is that Treating someone who is aggressive toward you in a non complimentary fashion. Right? In this case, in that story, instead of replying with more aggression, treating that person with friendliness, kindness. It, it's not like you can control other people's behavior. It's not the Jedi mind trick, right? If you know that one. Um, but sociologists are studying that when this is used, it's very effective at diffusing certain situations, at keeping situations from spiraling out of control and staying out of this cycle of uh, retaliation. Now, when I read that article a year or so ago heard the story first, actually you know what I thought? I thought, this isn't a discovery. <laughs> Jesus was teaching us to do this 2,000 years ago. And he wasn't even a psychiatrist. I mean, he didn't have a couch or nothing. But he taught people, he taught us, that we're supposed to, like we'll learn less next week, love our enemies and pray for them. We're never supposed to return evil for evil. We're supposed to return blessing instead. And he doesn't teach us stuff like that just because if you don't, God's going to be really angry. It's the best way for life to work. Now the problem with being non complimentary when somebody's mean to you, hurtful to you, the problem is it's really stinking hard. Naturally, normally, we treat people the way they treat us. Turning the other cheek has been called uh, one of the the most difficult teachings of the Bible. Um, You can find turn the other cheek sermons or or lessons in books or in sermon series called things like, these are real things, things you wish the Bible didn't say, and the the difficult teachings of Jesus, because this is hard to do. Today, here's what we're going to see in this passage. First, we're going to see side by side two of the most often quoted and two of the most often misunderstood, misused, and misinterpreted passages in all of Scripture. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, right next to turn the other cheek. I want to share with you from Scripture what those things mean and what they don't mean. And what Jesus is going to say, here's the the cliff notes version of the whole sermon. Jesus is going to say, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That doesn't mean what you think it means. I'm going to tell you not to become an enemy of the person who's who's mean to you. And then Jesus is going to give four examples of what sociologists would call non-complementarianism. Four examples of, a bad, of somebody doing a bad thing toward you and how you should react with kindness, with grace, with love. That's the sermon today. We start in verse 38, where Jesus says this, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Show of hands if you know what movie that is on the, uh, on the screen right there. Yes. Okay. This this passage made me think of Inigo Montoya, right? You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, (laughs) right? Uh, That's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Uh, We've heard that said. My guess is about 95% of the time we hear it used for something it was never intended to be used for. To understand Jesus' point, we've got to understand how we misuse, how people have always misused eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And to understand what it really means, we've got to look at where it was given in the law. So I'm going to show you the three places in the Old Testament law that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is written. When we think of the law, the Old Testament law, this is um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's important to understand those were not just written, not merely written to tell us what sins are and what sins aren't, right? What is a sin and what isn't a sin. That's, that's in there, don't get me wrong. But this was like Israel's constitution. This was the system of laws that ran a nation. And one thing that's really important for any society to have if it wants to exist is it has to have a system of what do we do with people who break the law, right? A society has to have punishments for lawbreakers, or it will spiral out of control. Don't believe anyone who, if you read that, you know, a punishment is not a deterrent for crime, that is bogus. Think of what you would do with your taxes if you knew you, they couldn't punish you if you didn't pay your taxes. You know why you pay? Is it just altruism why you pay everything? Let's be honest. It's because if I get caught, I'll, pay, I'll be in trouble. Now, the fact that we have punishments, does that mean nobody ever does anything wrong? No. It's not a preventative in all cases. But it's important. A society has to have a system where it says we as a society have a system of punishment for people who break the law. Every society that's going to last has to have that. And God put this concept into the law that would run Israel. It's like Israel's constitution and case law. And three places, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, shows up. The first place is in Exodus chapter 21. That's the first time God, through Moses, puts it in here. And here's what it was. In your society, Israel, when people break the law, society needs to punish lawbreakers, but the punishment's supposed to fit the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is is as much to protect the criminal in a way as it is the society if you thought the old testament went in for like cutting the hands off of thieves you're thinking of the wrong religious text that's not in the bible god said you we have to you have to if you want your society to work you have to punish lawbreakers, God said, i had to get out I have to get out of the business of stamping out evil and punishing people when they do stuff wrong because if I did that you 'd all be goners, so you have to police yourselves, but make sure the punishments fit the crime. He said in exodus twenty one beginning verse twenty three Punishments should fit the crime. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's what it says. And that's not really, uh, that's not the list of punishments. The, The Old Testament law has a bunch of punishments listed. Most of them are like financial. You steal this, you pay back five times as much most of them aren't actually injure the offender like the death penalty's in there don't get me wrong for very serious crimes god said hey here's some crimes that the death penalty fits but it's a concept of crime as this punishment fits it and that's his way of saying that it's also important to understand eye for eye tooth for tooth is addressed to the society to civic leaders In our way of thinking, this was written to like the police and the court system, in our way of thinking, right? Make sure punishments fit the crime. And that's really important to understand because eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was for a society to punish as a whole people who break the law. It is not ever intended for personal retribution, All right, next time, eye for eye, tooth for tooth is written. Leviticus chapter 24, it's used in exactly the same way. Have punishments, make sure they fit the crime. But what's interesting about the Leviticus one is in the same section of the law, in chapter 19, God wrote this, the underlying portion. You must not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people. Next words are, you must love your neighbor as yourself. So whatever eye for eye, tooth for tooth means, it can't negate that. You don't get to take personal vengeance. You know you know why Ten Commandments used to be in courthouses before people got bent out of shape? Because that is the foundation. The Old Testament law is the foundation of America's legal system. Like, right, wrong, or indifferent? It is. Don't we value punishments are supposed to fit the crime? Isn't no cruel and unusual punishments written into our Constitution? Yes, that's where it came from. You want to know what the the last... This is not related to turn the other cheek so much, but it's interesting. Deuteronomy 19, you know how eye for eye, tooth for tooth is used in Deuteronomy 19? It's to protect the accused. Here's how it works. What can I use as my example? Let's use Jeff and Dennis, okay? Let's say Dennis is really mad at Jeff. And he decides, you know what I'll do? I'm gonna accuse, I'm gonna go accuse Jeff to the authorities of some crime that he can be punished for. Um, in Deuteronomy 19, it says, if they go through that and they get to court and those accusations are found to be false, guess what happens to Dennis. Whatever punishment he hoped Jeff would get goes to Dennis, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, meaning the exact same punishment. Man, if we've lost anything, that's it. Here's how so that's in our, the rights of the accused. That's in our constitution. It came from here. We've twisted it, but it has a good foundation. Here's how else we see this, that eye for eye, tooth for tooth is not your excuse for personal vengeance. I'll use myself this time. Who else? Jason can be my victim. Let's say I, what should I do to Jason? Let's say I, uh, I burn their house down, commit arson, very serious crime, and I'm not advocating it here, okay? Um, if I do that, they suffer loss, Right? When I go to court, will my court case say Jason Tuller versus Matt Maxwell? Is that what it'll be? No, what will it say? The state of Nebraska versus Matt Maxwell. Why? Because society, our society is supposed to uh, judge and punish the wrongdoer. It's not his personal retribution against me. It is society needs to be protected from people who burn other people's houses down. Here's why I show you all of that. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, oh, we've heard it all right. When you hear someone say, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, how are they using it? I hope the civic authorities carry out a fitting punishment on this person who has broken the law. Is that how it's used? No. It's always used as my excuse to get back at someone who wronged me in a way that makes it sound like God's on my side and God has given me like a coupon, like a free pass to attack someone back for what they did. And Jesus does nothing to undo eye for eye or tooth for tooth. That's absolutely still valid as a biblical concept. The only thing he undoes is our most common misuse of it. Our most common interpretation, which is a misinterpretation of it, which is that God says, I can be mean back. And that is never what God intended. You keep using that phrase. I don't think it means what you think it means. Here's how Jesus undoes it. Undoes our misinterpretation of it. Beginning of verse 39, Jesus says this. He takes away this common misinterpretation that God says, I can carry out my vengeance because eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No, Jesus says this. But I say to you, do not resist uh, an evil person or the evil doer. Um, this is really confusing in English, to be real honest, right? What do you mean don't resist an evil person? Just like go along with them, join forces with them. By the way, if you read King James, it just says do not, res- re- do not resist evil. I'd add the word person, that's just a bad translation. But All right, here's what Jesus means, because it is confusing. The Greek word translated resist, do not resist an evil person. I kind of got it defined out on the screen up here. It's a word that means, and uh, fiste me is the Greek word, it means don't set yourself against this person who's done something evil. Don't set yourself up as their enemy. Don't make them a bad guy in your heart. that's that's resist you know it is normal to retaliate when someone wrongs you when someone hurts you you want to hurt them back so do i it's normal but it but it ain't right not according to Jesus you're not righteous when you do it, nor am I. Here's the way this usually goes down somebody does something wrong to me, and I feel I am the innocent victim in this situation. So obviously, God wants that person punished, and I am more than willing to carry out the punishment this person deserves. We wouldn't say it like that. That's what's going on in our hearts. Jesus says, Don't set yourself above, like morally. Don't set yourself against the person who's hurt you. Jesus teaches, it is best in God's eyes that you suffer that loss without retaliation. Now here's some things we have to remember about suffering that loss. When someone hurts me, that's a done deal. I am, I'm going to suffer that loss. It already happened. That part of my heart that says, if I get that person back, it will remove this hurt, is false, is a lie. That's just a new hurt on someone else. And it doesn't work. And it's not productive, and it's not right. Jesus says, Suff, be willing to suffer that loss without any personal retaliation. Is that hard? You bet your life. Is it impossible? No. No, it's not. And Jesus knows what we all know if we're not personally involved in the hurtful situation. If you're disconnected from the situation and you see somebody's going to carry out personal retaliation, you can see that's not going to make this situation better. Can't you see that when you're not emotionally involved? Yes, all Jesus is saying is, listen, even when you're the one emotionally involved, your retaliation's not right, and it's not going to make the situation better. In general, when I get hurt because it's me who's hurt, you hurt me, we'll do this on a scale of one to ten. You hurt me, all right, you were mad, you were having a bad day, and you think you hurt me at about a three level. What do I think the hurt was? At least a four and a half. So then, I'm going to retaliate in a way that I think evens the score. So I'm going to shoot for hurting you back at a four and a half, maybe a little more because you're a real jerk, and I'm the innocent victim here, and you deserve a little extra. So I'm going to hurt you at a five level. What do you think it was? Like, man, I only hurt him at a three. He just gave me a 7.2. So you're going to try to settle back. You see where this goes. It goes, no, it, 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 it's just a cycle of hurt and retaliation that doesn't end unless a relationship does. And even then, you carry, out, you carry the hurt and bitterness with you, and you take the problem that caused the rift with you when you're gone out of the relationship. Now, Jesus says, when you are following him, when I am following him, you will do this. You'll turn the other cheek and these other things we'll talk about in a minute. Now, does that mean there are going to be things done to me that never get paid back in this lifetime? Yes, that's exactly what that means. So does this mean every time somebody hurts me, I have to run away? No. Does this mean every time someone hurts me, I've just got to be this doormat who's constantly taken advantage of? No. No, it doesn't. Jesus is going to give us four examples of responding to an evildoer, an evil person. And they're all non complimentary behavior. Somebody wrongs you, you respond with grace, with love, and not with retaliation. Last thing I need to say before we look at the examples. Do not, an evil person, like who pops into your head when you hear evil person? If it's somebody in this room, please don't say it out loud because we don't have time for counseling right now. Um, now don't you, when you hear evil person... You, don't you think of just really despicable human beings? You think of Hitler and Osama bin Laden and Jeffrey Dahmer and John Elway. Just really terrible. <laughs> Sorry, Trent. I couldn't help it. Here, our example of sports evil should probably like Barry Switzer. How about that? Can Barry Switzer be our example of sports evil? Can you agree with that? All right. That's not who Jesus is talking about here. The Greek word for evil here can just be bad. Somebody who does something bad. And I got news for you. Anytime you're involved in one of these situations where you're confronted with an evil person who's done something that is dead wrong, they're not the only evil person in the situation. We don't have time. We can go back through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in it like nine weeks now. If you've been coming through the Sermon on the Mount, you've listened to these sermons. How many times have you sat there and thought, I am nailing this. Like, I didn't know how righteous I was till Jesus started telling me in the Sermon on the Mount. Right, I'll let you raise your hand if you thought that. Right? No. The whole thing's written to show us, man, you think you measure up and you're righteous? that the Sermon on the Mount blows that out of the water. But when we are confronted, when maybe this time we're not the evildoer, and we're not the person who has done something wrong this time, how do we respond? Jesus is going to give us four examples, and they all say the same thing do not set yourself against that person. Do not set them up as if they are the bad guy, they are the Jeffrey Dahmer in the situation, they are dirty, rotten, low-down, stinking, and whatever I can get to happen bad toward them, they deserve every bit of it because they are non complimentary behavior. And in teaching it, he's going to teach this. Apparently, you do not need to pay that back. You do not need to make them hurt if they have made you hurt. You don't need to settle the score. Jesus says, if you're following me, you're going to treat them differently and better than they have treated you. All right, let's look at the examples. The first one is the most famous one. It's the turn the other cheek thing. First example of an evil person, a bad person, someone more or less like you and me who d- does something bad. And Jesus if a person slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other as well. A couple things about this. First, this is more about insult than assault. Okay? This, the idea is if a right-handed person would slaps me on the right cheek, he does this number, the backhand. A public backhand slap was the height of insult and shaming someone back in Jesus' day. This is not about assault. Listen, if someone assaults you, if someone causes you purposeful physical harm, call the police. You know why? Because society, you owe it to the rest of us that people who make those kind of mistakes are held accountable. That's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Then you know what you do? Then you, then you personally don't retaliate. You still turn the other cheek even while eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is going on. So what does it mean to turn the other cheek? A minute ago I said, does this mean I run away every time someone hurts me? Necessarily, no. Let's take this metaphor out to its Conclusion here. If you slap me on the right cheek, well, that just got really loud. Did you hear that? If you slap me on the right cheek, if I've turned the other cheek to you, I haven't run away, have I? This isn't turned tail. It's turned the other cheek, which means I'm still there. Which means. Someone insults you. So this might be, you know, modern times. However, somebody might insult you, devalue you among other people, talk bad about you, whatever it is. When you walk away from that person and keep yourself from strangling them, will you go and begin to build the coalition against that person? Tell everybody how terrible they are so that the tide turns against them We cannot pat ourselves on the back for turning the other cheek because we have not. We're retaliating just in a sneakier way. We're wanting them to be uh, punished in public opinion. Turn the other cheek is standing there with a person who has just hurt me and done something very wrong and letting them know, "I I disagree with what you have done, but you can continue to insult me and I'm not going to jump into Personal retribution. I'm going to go toward the heart for the betterment of a person who has done something wrong. So turn the other cheek is not withdraw, it's also not stand and fight. It's staying out of the cycle of you hurt me, I hurt you back. Pain, retribution, pain, retribution, pain, revenge. Turn the other cheek has gotten a really bad rap. What it's turned into is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is what tough people do. Turn the other cheek is what wimps do. You don't have to practice retribution. It takes no toughness. It's completely natural. It takes incredible moral strength to turn the other cheek. It really does. I'm willing to suffer loss without returning loss to you. That's non complimentary behavior at its best. The other three examples I've taken, I wanted to make sure I explained what I've explained thus far. Um, so we'll go more quickly through these other examples of what I'm calling non-complementary behavior verse 40 Jesus says someone sues you for your cloak or your Bible might say c- coat um, how, how do you react what Jesus' audience would have heard in this by the way you ever hear that you, you've heard this one too I'll, he would give me the shirt off his back This is where literally where this comes from. Um, Here's what Jesus' audience would have heard. If I'm suing you for your cloak, your outer garment, you are poor, and I'm suing you for everything you have, the only thing you have left. How easy would it be if I were doing that for you to set your heart against me as an enemy? Really, really easy. Jesus says, oh no, tell him you'll, tell him you'll uh, give him your tunic also. This is an illustration. If you gave me, in this day, your cloak and then your tunic, guess what you are? Naked. Okay? I'm willin- this is a way of Jesus saying, I'm willing to absorb shame. I'm going to go out of my way to not set my heart against you. This person's violating another place in the law where Jesus said, if you take someone's cloak in a pledge, you have to give it back. And this person would be in direct violation of the law. Jesus says, you do what it takes to not set yourself against that person as an enemy. Uh, verse 41, go the extra mile. This is the cliche passage of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We've heard all of these. Go the extra mile. Here's where that story, somebody asks you to go one mile, you go two. Um, In the Roman world, it was legal and normal for the Roman army to come and grab somebody and impress you into service, could force you to carry stuff for them uh, for one mile is all they could ask. A mile under a heavy load is quite a ways, right? This is is how they transported stuff sometimes. How are we going to get all this stuff way over there? We'll just keep grabbing locals and making them pull this stuff. Now, for a first century Jew, they resented the presence of the Roman army, right? They hated him. Jesus said, when that soldier comes and gets you, rather than let that resentment, you know, here's what I would do. What level of snarky comments can I get away with before I get hit by this Roman soldier, right? To let him know what a jerk he is and how bad he stinks and whatever else without getting in trouble, Jesus, no. Not only do you do what he asks, and he says, hey, can I, can I serve you even farther than that? This is an interesting example because their personal retaliation wasn't an option. All the retaliation's in here, in a heart. It's not like if a Roman soldier grabbed you and said, you've got to carry this a mile, you're going to punch him, right? It's about what's in... In here by the way i see a picture of this happening jesus is carrying his cross on the way it gets too heavy he can't carry it anymore what does a roman soldier do he grabs a guy named simon says you pick up his cross and carry it so what does this is? um third one this is another interesting example jesus is if someone asks you for money uh, isn't that interesting? That person's called an evildoer here. This is example the, the four examples of evildoers. Now, just because someone asks you for money, that doesn't make them an evildoer, does it? What happens in your heart when somebody asks you for money? How, how easy is it to set yourself against that person? Now, it's important to uh, Augustine, the church father, in his, his commentary on this verse, you know, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. Um, Augustine said, uh, that Jesus said, give to the one who asks, but Jesus does not say, give everything he asks for. Those are not the same thing. Later, or another place in Luke, Jesus says, you, you have to be on guard against all kinds of greed. And when he said that, it was a family situation where people were squabbling over, over money. Giving, every, giving someone what they ask for is not always loving, right? If, if you have an addict asking you for money so they can go buy more heroin, right, you can't, well, Jesus said, I got to give to the one who asks. No. What Jesus does say is, I don't set myself against him like he's the enemy, He's just the only, he's just the other evil person in this problem. So, so we, we don't set ourselves against someone. I, if they're in error, I help them see their error. I still treat them with respect. There's a difference between not giving someone everything they ask for and rejecting the person. And Jesus uses the word for reject in here do not reject the person who asks. Um, for money or for a loan. But we would go elsewhere to, to determine whether or not it's a good idea. All right, we've got to uh, wrap some things up here to land the plane, draw out some main points. First, if the Sermon on the Mount has taught us anything so far, it's that following Jesus will make us very different. And this is a very clear, I mean, you, you will be You'll be a weirdo if this is the way you react when you are hurt. But it's a good kind of weirdo. You'll be very, very different. But how do we pull, how do we pull this off? This should be the mark of a Jesus follower. How do we pull this off? When I am wronged and offended, number one, first, I must stop and think. I put and pray in parentheses. I'm not making that up. Come back next week and Jesus will tell us we have to pray. Understand most of our retaliation comes from emotions. I feel like this person I should react in a way that will make me feel better. And I'll feel better if I make this person feel bad. Jesus says we have to subvert, subject our emotions to his will, and he has told us what his will is when we are wronged, and it is not to retaliate personally. And to pull that off, I have got to stop and think, who or what do I want to follow here? My emotions or my Lord? You do not have to join every argument you are invited to. Right? Right? i got to let his will overvalue, override my emotions for the good of the other person and for the glory of Christ. I will refuse when I'm following Jesus. I will refuse to retaliate even if that means I will lose in this situation. You will never be more like Jesus in your life than when you refuse to retaliate when you are wronged. You will never be more like Jesus in your life than when you refuse to retaliate when you are wronged and you go toward a person with grace and care who has wronged you. you believe that? I, sometimes, I know I say this all the time, we think we're going to be like Jesus when, for all the sins we don't sin. The Sermon on the Mount just crushes that idea. I mean, we can't get there. We can do this. This is something we actually just do or don't do. Isn't that what the cross is? It's Jesus who had, within his power, he had the power to retaliate, and he chose not to but not by retreating away from the people who hurt him. He stayed right there and went toward them, even though they were the ones that were wrong. The people who literally put him on the cross, who, who set him up, who betrayed him, but also all of us whose sins put him there. He wouldn't retaliate. He wouldn't run away. He stayed there to say, You can hurt me if you want, but I choose grace. If we are going to overreact when we are wronged, overreact with grace. Just think about this logically. How many people, when they stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ? How many Christians Well, stand before the Lord and hear Him say, you know what your problem was? You were way too gracious when people wronged you. I was so disappointed in how much grace you poured out every time you were wronged. How many of us, I don't know how it works for sure, but how many of us might hear, child, you are forgiven, but you didn't act like I treated you when you got wronged. You misused eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth as an excuse for your own personal retribution and you did not act like my follower. And none of this means that I will ever agree with this person maybe. And not retaliating does not mean I will agree. It means not retaliating. (laughs) This sounds really hard, doesn't it? I mentioned this before. You know the only way we have any hope of pulling this off is if we believe that our God is not just a Savior but also a judge who will right every wrong. You know what that does for me? It takes the pressure off me. It takes the pressure off. I've got to avenge this wrong. No, I don't. I trust the one to whom vengeance belongs. He will do this correctly. And praise God that he decided he would pour the vengeance I deserve out on himself for my benefit. You want to do something to serve our community? And I mean our community, Chase County? Start turning the other cheek. I don't think this is unique to Chase County, but we are a retribution filled community. we are a continual grab your torch and pitchfork community somebody tell me who i can be furious out at so we can show them that he will not cross us and i'm just talking about the christians you want know, to serve your community have this conversation with somebody man i really feel like what you did was wrong but I want you to know I care about you and I am not going to pay you back in kind. I feel like we need to have a conversation, but it is not going to be a conversation where I try to hurt you for what I feel I was hurt. Man, if, if the Christians would just start following Christ... You know what effect it would have? Earlier in this chapter, Jesus called it being salt and light. We would preserve situations rather than exacerbate them. We would shine the light of Christ in painful situations rather than exacerbate them. And maybe just somebody might go, holy cow, how can you be like that toward that person? I'd have punched him right in the nose. Say, well, I really felt like it. Let me tell you what God did with my, when I had wronged him. He decided he would not punish me for my wrong. He would assume the loss, forgive me, and do that for my benefit. And I'm, I'm just trying to do what Jesus did for me. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and your grace for us. I thank you for your judgment that will be sure and swift and just. And I thank you that mine has been poured out. And all of us who believe in the name of Jesus, our judgment has been poured out at the cross. And you came toward those who hurt you with grace and mercy to the glory of the Father. God, we bear your name. Lord Jesus, we are Christians. We are Christ ones. We are Christ followers. Give us the courage and the strength to begin to follow you when we're hurt. That situations might be preserved. That the light of Christ might shine through us when we are the ones who are wronged. We love you, Lord.